Hello and welcome to episode two of my podcast, I Stand Strong, coming at you from my bear cave in the beautiful concrete jungle of Northwest. Um, last week I covered my my love of horror movies and how that's kind of been an impact on me. Today I'm kind of going with a similar topic, um, because in the last one I did kind of go really in depth on how I feel about Alien, I decided I'm going to tackle... A conversation me and my best friend have had many times, and we've still never quite come to an answer on how we feel on it. Well, we both feel opposite sides of it, so I decided I'm going to tackle it myself this time, and then hopefully down the line I will be able to get a setup that will allow me and him to discuss this together, which will just be more fun. So, it is basically going to be my conversation... And my feelings on which was the better movie, Alien or Aliens. Now, I love both movies, but at the same and at the same time, I feel like you really there really is kind of a problem like comparing the two. Because to me, Alien is way more of a a horror, claustrophobic, atmospheric horror movie, very slow build, where Aliens is more a straightforward balls-to-the-wall action flick with little horror aspects here and there. Um, But I still feel like there is a little bit of ground of comparison for me, and I'm just going to come right out and say it. To me, the, the better movie is Alien. It's a way better structured film. It's a lot more nuanced to me. Um... So I kind of lean towards Alien. Plus, I think it's also like it goes back to my my horror movie feel. And my my buddy is not as big of a horror movie fan as I am. So I think that's probably why Alien sticks out better to him. But, so for this, I decided at first I'm going to break down some statistics to do with the movies. For example... Alien made 106 million 300,000 yeah 300,000 on an 11 million dollar budget which means it netted about 95 uh, 95 million 300,000 where Aliens made 183 million on an 18 and a half million budget netting 162 million dollar you know a uh, uh, yeah, it made $162 million. That's the easiest way to put it after I stumble through that. Um, and then when you get into awards, I mean, they were pretty much neck and neck on that one. I mean, you had both of them got Academy Awards for special effects. And then most of them, both of them also got multiple BAFTA and Saturn Awards plus other science fiction uh, film fest awards. Mostly for sound design effects, and I believe Alien did get one of the BAFTAs for Best Supporting Actress for Veronica Cartwright. So that really kind of breaks down to me some of the the statistics that I feel could come into play. Because yeah, you could argue Aliens made way more money in the in the you know the box office. But they kind of ended up the same as far as awards go. But I could also argue that maybe Alien would have stood a little better of a chance if 
to in, in my opinion where horror movies weren't really fully respected where they could be considered now i mean you you wouldn't have a horror movie winning best picture like get out did a few years back um so i really feel like there is there is a difference in there you know you have to play into the fact that yeah horror movies in 79 probably weren't as respected as an action flick of the 80s you know seven years later and i think that also you know I, I, I didn't do the research to see, like, with inflation, which one would have made money. Because who knows if in 1979 the amount of money they made would break it even with what Aliens made. But that's beside the point. That's just giving some statistics and really saying, you know, I don't, I, I don't care what the statistics say. Aliens a better movie to me. But that out of the way, I'm going to break down kind of how I feel about... You know, the the cores of the movies. I mean, you have two directors in Ridley Scott and James Cameron who are very different directors, but they played in the you know they played in the same sandbox, so to speak. Um, where Ridley Scott was way more slow, you know, tension building, uh, keeping it claustrophobic, not showing you the creature for a good chunk of the movie. I mean, you see it in the, ch you see the chest burster break out. And then for a while, you don't really see a really good shot of the alien until the very end. And then you have James Cameron who, you know, who had done, who does amazing action flicks. And he took what Ridley Scott had done and he built it into this, really fast paced in many ways once it gets going action flick where you're seeing the creatures constantly once they make their appearance and you know he ups the stakes but i really feel that there's you know the the difference is just you know the the way director the directors took on the thing i mean you know you're not gonna it would have been boring to see james cameron just take what ridley scott did and try to do his you know, his take on Ridley, a Ridley Scott film and make it slow and only have one alien and, you know, really have it be more of a, the atmospheric feel. So I, I respect that James Cameron, you know, had to take this, this world that was set up with very, really kind of very minimal things as far as like what the creatures were, why they were there and took it to the next level really very you know very successfully i mean he he took it you know you I, I i liked his ideas to move it you know have her be have been in you know cryo sleep for the what 57 years because that makes it kind of almost a little bit she's a fish out of water and then you get into the the aspects of you know ripley um you know having to face the Kind, I guess it's kind of a trial for you know her actions of destro destroying the ship to try to get rid of the alien, and the you know Wayland Yutani, of course, even though they probably very much knew the alien existed, or at least somebody high up in the company did, they still kind of use her as a scapegoat because they didn't have their alien, and then you know you you have. You know, they, so they go, they're not believing her or maybe they, they very well know and they're just pretending not to believe her. But then, you know, you get that that twist of, well, we've had this colony there for 11 years and no one's complained, which I'll get into how that's kind of a 
that's kind of a plot hole to me in a way. But um oh yeah, so you get this this setup to allow it to be a much more big movie. You know, you get the upscale to like, okay, we're gonna have all these colonists now that are have been infected, so there's not just gonna be the one alien. There's gonna be, you know, hundreds of them almost. And, you know, that that ups the scale and that allows you to have the the big action, you know, big budget action flick feel to the movie as well. I mean, you get to have the Space Marines with, you know, Bill Paxton playing the the real tough guy until the shit hits the fan. And, you know, uh, Michael Bean in probably, to me, one of his best performances next to Johnny Ringo in Tombstone. But that's a whole other story. Um you know, playing, you know, Hicks and, you know, he's, he's kind of this real, to me, he's a much more methodical Marine, but he's, he's got this great presence in the film. And then, you know, you bring in some of the, the smaller parts, like, you know, like Vasquez with her massive gun that I, I've always loved the look of, but have never fully, wholly understood like the clip system on it. Um, but yeah, but so I guess it's it's kind of you know there's there's this big feel to Aliens where Alien has a much smaller scope, but the sandbox to me is is a little better I guess even though it's a smaller sandbox you know but only having it be on the Nostromo and only having what six seven party members um, or crew members on the on the ship for the alien to go through, but it really, I think, I think it was just more successful as it's appeal to me. But then again, I also have to admit that aliens is way more rewatchable because aliens is a movie you could put on. And, you know, to me, at least I could put it on and have it in the background while I'm doing something. And I don't feel like I'm missing anything. If I put on Alien, I have to be in front of that movie and watch every second of it, or I just don't feel like it's, I feel like, you know, it's, it's just wasted, because I'm like, there's so much, so many little things that are going on in the first Alien, that if you miss something, to me, it kind of just takes away from the film. It's a very much sit down and watch it from beginning to end, where Aliens, I can, you know, like I said, I can feel like I can get up and go to the bathroom and I'm not really missing anything because it's just this, you know, it's just because of the, I guess it's the nature of the way the movie plays. <clears throat> so uh, that kind of gets into that part. Um, I was going to go somewhere with this. I guess I'll, I'll just start by breaking down, you know, like the things that really worked to me with Alien were you know sound design was amazing um i'll get into the fact that i feel kind of the same way about aliens but the sound design of you know this very quiet atmosphere for the most part until they're like you know in the lower decks and uh yafet kodo and harry dean stanton are working on the stuff and they're messing with ripley with the air vent um but there's there's a lot of great sound design especially when you get deep into the film and they're, you know, they realize there's this alien out there and they're trying to, they're trying to kind of like center where it is or keep it quarantined in a specific spot of the ship, which leads to, you know, the, the, 
amazing sequence in uh, in the vents where Dallas is crawling through the vents and they're closing vents and trying to herd the alien to a, the xenomorph to a specific spot. Um, which I feel if you don't have that scene, you don't. I don't know whether you end up with the motion trackers, which were a big part of Aliens. Because I mean, you kind of have like that that uh, early version of the motion tracker in the first one, where you know they, they're holding it in the one spot, and somehow it's tracking a lot more distance than the motion trackers and Aliens, if you ask me. But it's you know you get that that general sound of you know like they just keep telling him you know it's it's right there somewhere and he can't see it because there's multiple levels to the vents or maybe it's just that much better at digging into you know blending into its environment like it shows at the end when it's hidden in the pipes and it's right in front of ripley and you have no freaking clue it's there until it moves um but then you also have, you know, stuff like, you know, the it hanging from the chains. And if you look very carefully in the background, you can see the alien hanging with those chains above Harry Dean Stanton when he's he's looking for Jonesy in that whatever part of the ship that is, it's obviously got coolant leaking or moisture coming from something. Um you know, you can you can see it in the background. It's those little things that kind of build like you know it's like oh look there's there's that little thing that i i didn't catch that the first time um you know and then you know like the sound design and the creature effects when you get in towards you know like you're getting to the last where you know veronica cartwright and yafet koto are you know throwing the throwing the i think it's like air tanks to each other because they need so many for the the escape pod and you kind of get that shadow building over Veronica Cartwright and then it you know Yafa Kodo realizes there's something behind you know there's kind of sees the shadow and by the time he turns around it's almost too late for Lambert or Veronica Cartwright but she's you know she's so afraid she's in the way so he can't do anything which essentially gets them both killed but you know there's there's a lot of little subtleties to to the first one that I don't feel are hundred percent present in the second one in aliens. Um, uh, I mean the, and we, I guess we get into the incredibly overly sexualized imagery to, to alien and aliens. And that's in, you know, the HR Giger designs. I mean, I, I really feel the first one, really tackle like really used the hr giger design better um because i liked the i think it was a little more streamlined in the first one because they didn't have to make so many alien suits i feel like it was a little more streamlined and they looked a little more a little more real it felt a little more natural um but yeah, and then and then like if if you can catch it, I mean it's kind of hard to see in the first one. And this is this is a complaint I'd have is like you know they had this really amazing, beautiful like skull underneath the the front cap of the alien, but in most of the scenes it's so dark you can't really see through that. There's this you know transparent piece on it where you can kind of see a skull through it, except for in a couple scenes, but. 
I really kind of I really kind of wish they could have done something to make that stand out a little more. Um, but on the whole, I really kind of feel that um, I'm hoping I pronounce this name right. Carlo Rambaldi, who did the effects in Alien, I really feel he 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 did a really good job at taking that idea of the H.R. Giger um, creature, which I want to say was from like the print called like the Nema Nemacon Three, I believe, um, and turning it into this this creature i mean they they definitely did some tweaks but i mean but that's not the only thing that's that's really you know i mean there i mean like i said you know if you look at hr Giger, he's always over it's everything's like vaguely sexualized if you ask me um but you know like the the idea of the alien you know the it starts in this egg which hatches the face hugger then which forces it like kind of you know like an, an allegory for rape almost i mean it grabs a hold of your face and forcefully implants an egg into your chest or stomach i've never fully understood where the alien sits as it gestates um i don't think either any of the movies ever really fully explain that i mean you know, you know it chest from like it bursts from like the rib cage area but i've never fully understood like where it's gestating a hundred percent um i I know when i was younger i always thought it was like in the stomach and then it just probably like maybe moved as it grew it expanded into like the rib cage area but that doesn't necessarily make sense it also doesn't really make sense it would be in the lungs but i mean somewhere in the chest i guess it, it really doesn't matter that's just me being you know kind of curious i guess but you know it it bursts free and You've got this creature that is the ultimate uh, entity. I mean, its natural defenses are just crazy. I mean, you've got all of its weaponry, I guess you could say, built into its body between the claws, the the inner mandible, the, uh, the tail. You know, its ability to blend into any environment it's near, apparently. You know, I mean, that's those are all, like, extremely amazing predator functions. I mean, this thing is like the ultimate predator that, you know, and then, then you get into, you know, its defense mechanisms like the acid blood, which I I know I mentioned the first one, which is, you know, that's a scary thing. I mean, what do you do in a... in a close quarter situation? I mean, you really can't stab it. You can't, you know, you use a shotgun, let's face it, they show that in Aliens, you know, you shoot it with a shotgun at close range, you're spraying, spraying acid all over yourself, um, or, or somebody else if they're in the wrong place. I mean, it's, it's this really kind of, you know, scary just by design. I mean, and it, it does make me want to like, kind of want to know, like, what is their home world about? Um. I mean, I know you've got the, the the prequels now with Prometheus and Alien Covenant, which I find fun. I own them. I like them. But I really feel that more Covenant than Prometheus really kind of did something towards the end that I feel really didn't change the 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 way the aliens are for a good way. And that's the whole thing of you. You find out that they're 
completely, you know, uh, scientifically created by David. And I don't know what I think about that with the idea of, okay, well, if he created them, where's, where's the queen? You know, I mean, it's like if he created this first egg and this first alien, then how did the queen come to be? Is it just something within the genetics he created that then formed itself? You know, like it, it, it maybe did like, you know, like they talk about in Jurassic Park, there's something about something in the genes where it recognizes that there's nothing to procreate itself. So out of necessity, there becomes a queen. I don't know about that. And that kind of, that, that makes me have to use my head cannon, which I kind of have to believe. Yeah. Okay. At some point in time, either a, he, he created an alien queen or like I said, just out of necessity, nature found a way and created a queen out of one of the, the regular, like the drones. But even then, I mean, you know, I don't know. It's a, I, I'm, go, I'm going down a rabbit hole I don't need to be part of at this point in time because the, the, the prequels that Ridley Scott has done, I, I enjoy them. But like I said, I think they have their place, but I think they've also kind of done a little bit of damage here and there um, to the the lore. Uh, so then I guess I'll get, I'll get into now how I feel Aliens takes what Alien did and... And although it is very much its own movie, it does expand the lore. I mean, you've got this, you've got, so you've got Alien, which takes place on this moderately small ship compared to the the scope of where you go with Aliens. And it's, you know, six, seven crew members trying to defend themselves with no weaponry against a, a creature that is the ultimate weapon. And then you take it and you move 57 years into the future because Ripley survives the alien, blows it out the airlock, and goes to sleep and just happens to be drifting in space for these 57 years till finally the scavenger crew finds her. And then, of course, they turn her over to Whalen yutani where she wakes up and figures out the 57 years and then faces her inquiry and, of course... We all know where that goes. She loses her license and kind of becomes outcast. But in the process, you know, they they find out, you know, oh, there's supposedly this alien life form there. And then, you know, suddenly they come knocking on her door because the the colony, uh, was it Destiny's Hope or Hadley's Hope? Hadley's Hope. Um they have no communication with them and they don't know why. So they want to send, you know, the, the space Marines out there, the colonial Marines, that's what they're not space Marines, colonial Marines out to investigate. And they want Ripley to come along because she's the only person who's ever experienced the aliens. And, you know, I, I love the way they play with her, you know, not really, wanting to she wants nothing to do with it which makes sense i mean she just watched you know the friends the what friends and i guess crew she you know the crew which was kind of her family in a way um you know she watched them just systematically get taken out by this creature and somehow by pure luck she she survived it and she wants nothing to do with it and then you know she she has her dream, you know, 
that obviously, you know, they never fully explain what the nightmare she had was, but whatever it was, it convinces her like she needs to do this as long as they're going out to destroy it, not to bring back, not to study. And you get, you know, it, it really allows Ripley to grow as, an, as a character. You know, you start getting, Aliens is definitely the move of, from Ripley, the the final girl, for lack of a better term, you know, the person that just, you know, did what she needed to survive and was kind of, she was almost meek at points in the first one, too. The second one, you really kind of see her become that, you know, I don't care what I got to do, I'm going to survive, and those I care about are going to live, no matter, you know, if even if she has to die trying. And it makes her that badass character that she has become in, you know, in pop culture. Um, you know, and, and I kind of, I kind of like the idea of like, they did kind of explain, you know, she's been, since she's been outcast for this time, she's, you know, she's, she's working in a dock because it's the only job she can get. And, you know, there, there's something about that. Just, you know, she's, you know, it kind of, it was a, it was a world building moment. I mean, did you really need to talk about what she was doing in the process? No, but it kind of gave you a thing of, you know, showing her, her survival instinct as it kicked in. I mean, she could have easily just become an alcoholic and hidden out in that little apartment she has. Um, but no, she she finds a way to kind of struggle on and just do what she can. Um, but, you know, then, of course, then you introduce the Colonial Marines. And God, I love everything to do with the Colonial Marines and Aliens. I mean, Apone just plays that, the I, I don't know the actor's name, but the guy that plays Apone plays a great uh, CO to me. You know, I love his, you know, I, I really feel that he he strikes a good a good line as far as like what, uh, you know, what a commanding officer would probably be in that kind of a military, you know. And I, I love the, I mean, there's some great quotes from him that are very military-esque to me. And it wouldn't shock me if they were actually military terms, you know, like his telling people assholes and elbows. I mean, get to work. Um, or, you know, like his, his, just his, his general interactions with the rest of the Marines just cracks me up. You know, him, of course he has, he takes none of Hudson's shit, which just makes Hudson's antics a little better. To me, you know, it's like he, he wouldn't have been so... I don't think Hudson would be as successful and memorable of a character if you didn't have somebody to always play his straight man. I mean, you have, you know, he's... You know, when they first come out of uh, hypersleep, he's complaining about how cold the floor is. And Apone just happens to be walking by him and ask him, would you like him to fetch his... Would he like him to fetch his slippers? And he says, well, that'd be really nice, Sergeant, or something. I, I don't remember the exact line and... You know, it's just this great, you know, back and forth. And later in the movie, you have kind of him bouncing off of Ripley as is more of his straight man or Hicks or Vasquez plays a really good straight man to him in a couple points. Um, But it really kind of is interesting, though, now that I think about it, that Hudson is very much kind of the he's a comic relief that almost it needed to cut some of the tension because, I mean, you get the tension going and then, you know, it, he kind of does something very Hudson-esque, all, uh, you know, explaining the weaponry they have on them. I think that might only be in the special edition, which 
I really like. I I have my problems with some of the stuff they added back in. But you know, his you know, the, the, the stuff they added in, I really I really like this the special edition. I know there's a lot of people who think it it didn't really add a whole lot, but that's another topic. I'll get to that one eventually probably. Um Yeah, I mean He's this great character that goes from badass to chicken shit real fucking quick. And it makes for a little comedic effect to kind of cut the tension after, you know, the, the stuff really starts happening. Um, so where was I going with that? And here's where you get to see the, the real workings of my mind. I lose my train of thought. Um... Oh yeah, but then you know, so she's she's now with these space, you know, colonial marines who are not really impressed with having being called out into this job. They you know they don't really know what they're doing. Um, and you know, there's that first uh, briefing point where you kind of get the the feel. You still get a little bit of the meek feeling from Ripley, you know, especially when she's trying to explain. You know, they they tell her, you know, they tell him, okay, this is the this is the mission, and we got a specialist, you know, specialist on board. And they hand it over to Ripley to kind of explain, and she's still kind of like you can kind of see the PTSD in her. I mean, really, I've I've always felt Sigourney Weaver is a very underrated actress in the long run. She doesn't get nearly enough uh, credit for what she's done. Whether it be in the Alien franchise or, you know, Copycat, where she she plays, uh, I can never remember the name of the the mental illness where you you know or the the phobia of leaving your house, um, agoraphobic, I believe is what it is. But anyways, in Copycat, um, but you know she she plays that meek part, and then of course they start making fun of her. And, you know, making statements like, you know, I just need to know one, you know, Vasquez makes a statement. I only need to know one thing, where they are. And that kind of clicks Ripley into that almost like that survival instinct kicks in. Then, And she, she you know, she kind of tells him, you know, I hope you're right. Because one of those things wiped out her entire crew. And if this colony has been, you know, infested by them, you know... Who knows how many there's going to be? Um, and of course, they also don't know, you know, is there only one? I mean, there could only be one for all they know. They don't know at that point in time. They don't know how the the aliens, you know, reproduce. They don't know. Like, all she knows is there was thousands of eggs on that ship. Um, you know, and as as the movie builds, I I really feel like you know you kind of like I love the transition of Ripley from the 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 last survivor. You know, like I said, the the final girl who's really kind of PTSD about the first situation, and then you know becomes essentially becomes the the ultimate heroine in my opinion in movies. I mean, you know, Laurie Strode. You know, J- Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie Strode will always be one too, but. I really feel Sigourney Weaver surpasses that as Ripley. I mean, she, there's there's a reason they've brought her back for what four movies, even though the fourth one's bad. I'm I'm a I'm a big defender of the third one. I think it has its place. I think it's definitely a drop ball when you compare it to two. 
but you know it's i still think i still think alien 3 has its place i like the story it tells and i think if they would have never done 4 it probably would hold up better in my eyes um but then uh you know they when they get to the I, I I love the you know the the whole you know they get to the the mess hall and they're eating and you get that other little subtle build of you know you're kind of seeing the the marines interact with each other and you're kind of getting the personalities even though you're not really getting introduced to like I mean there's so many characters in that scene and most of them are getting no build other than these little interactions you're seeing in that can you're in the the cafeteria um, but you know, it leads to Bill Paxton wanting Bishop to do the knife trick. So Drake sneaks up on uh, Hudson and puts his puts his hand over his and makes sure that you know Bill Paxton's hand is there for the the knife trick. Which I love the scene, even though I I sometimes think the 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 effect of just speeding up the film kind of makes it look a little hokey in the long run by nowadays standards but I still love that scene just you know the Bill Paxton's scream through that cracks me up and then his the look on his face afterwards where he's you know he's really trying to figure out did that just happen and he's almost looks like he's probably got to go change his pants but um which then, you know, kind of pass on to, you know, you kind of start seeing the, the, the division between the, the core of the, the colonial Marines and Gorman, the, you know, the, the ultimate leader of this thing, who's, you know, very centered off from each other. He's not interacting with the, the grunts as they call themselves. You know, he's, he's better than them almost is how, how it comes off. Um, and then you have, you know, you Ripley sits down with Burke and uh, Gorman and Bishop comes over and is talking with them. And he looks at his finger and it's got the white blood. And you have that whole moment of the realization of Ripley just not being OK with there being a synthetic artificial person, whatever, you know, however you want to refer to them, android, you know on board because she went through some shit because of the last android she dealt with. Nobody even knew Ash was an android and he tried to kill her because she was the only one who had put together that basically he was working with the company to try to basically get this alien life form to earth to be studied, to be used in a, as a weapon probably. Um, so, you know, you get another little moment of her, you know, her showing that, that weakness, you know, she doesn't know what to do with it. She's afraid in that situation, but she, you know, she does the only thing she can. And that's tell, you know, tell Bishop to, you know, keep the hell away from her. And, you know, the, the kind of the, the feel of, you know, like I, I love Bishop, like Lance Henriksen delivers a great performances Bishop, you know, that moment of shock when he's like, Oh really? What, you know, what, 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 what model, you know, he wants to, he wants to ease Ripley's fears, but, you know, I mean, good luck doing that. But, you know, he wants to. So, you know, they tell him, you know, the model and he's like, oh, well, yeah, they were always a bit twitchy. But, you know, I'm, I've am i been programmed in my programming. I cannot 
harm or by any means of action harm a human on this this mission and even that's not enough which i mean how could it be enough because all it takes is a direct order from Waylon yutani and he has to probably has to follow those orders i don't i don't know i mean that's just kind of how i'm looking at it um so you know yeah you get these like i i I gotta say the, the the character building as far as in that one scene is great because once it gets going, you really don't have a lot of time to build character anymore. I mean, they kill Marines off left and right once it really kicks off. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I could go down the whole the whole idea, the whole plot of this movie, and I I, I really want to try to stop doing that, so I'm just going to jump into, you know, like, Stan Winston's effects. Like I said, I feel that the idea of, you know, having to do all the aliens is great, but I just felt like kind of like, I, I love his effects, I love his designs, but I feel like when you've got a bunch of the aliens, the Xenomorphs on screen, it kind of takes away from the feel of any individual one. I feel like the... You know, they work. They had to make so many of them that some of the, not all of them, but some of them weren't really as smooth as they could have been. But I'm not, I mean, by no means am I, you know, am I shitting on Stan Winston. I think he did an amazing job, especially when it comes to the Queen. Um, that is such a creepy, you know, design. Uh, but I felt like, you know, like when, when they only had the one alien, I think they had way more time to focus on it and streamline the look compared to the second one where you had a bunch of them and they just kind of, like I said, some of them didn't, didn't feel as, as, uh, finely tuned as others. Um, but at least they did a good job at like the ones that were really, really smoothed out were the ones they showed the most. Like you got, you only got up close, up close shots of the ones that were really, I mean, the, the, the ones that I feel were kind of lesser, lesser than were hidden in the back in the group sequences of like, you know, multiple aliens attacking. But then, you know. And then, you know, like, I'll, I'll go back to the Queen. You know, that, that sequence of Ripley, you know, walking into that room and realizing she's in an egg chamber and not understanding what, you know, or, or kind of, I guess I shouldn't say not understanding, but she, she comes to the realization of where she is and you get that looking around and you see the weird egg tube connected to the the queen's butt and then like the whole idea of her you know she's like she's almost suspended in the air you know and then when ripley sees her which this is a a trope that's all over the place and me and my buddy tony cannot help but make fun of it when we notice and that's the trope of i'm not going to move until you see me you know it's it's a big one from uh the first time I think we can we really pointed out was the Spinosaurus. I think is what it was called in Jurassic Park three. You know they're 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 talking. There's a point where they're by the fence and they're talking about the phone and oh the kid the kid found his parents because he heard their phone. And they're like, well, we don't have the phone. The phone was on so and so, and it was this guy that was eaten earlier. And then all of a sudden the phone starts ringing behind them, and there's a Spinosaurus just just standing there, like waiting for them to notice it before it attacks. We've kind of like since that 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 sequence, we've always noticed that, and I, I kind of realized that that was something that happens in 
in in Aliens with the Queen. You know, it's like she's chilling there, and then all of a sudden, then Ripley sees her, and then she's gonna lower herself down and kind of make herself known. I mean, like, really, why wouldn't she have just, you know, the second Ripley walked into that room, why didn't she do something to take her out? Why does she have to wait to be seen? But once again, it's a nitpicky thing, and it's it's kind of a funny trope that me and him like to notice. So I kind of actually find fun have fun finding it. <clears throat> um, but then you know the the whole sequence. Like I I really feel the the sequence of her standing in the middle of that ang chamber and. There's no words spoken because, I mean, of course, she could speak to the queen all she wants, but the queen doesn't understand her. And she, the queen can't really talk, so the queen can't talk to her back. But you get a lot of subtle, nuanced movements from both Ripley and the the alien queen that are explaining very much what they're saying. You know, all she has to do is signal with the flamethrower towards the egg, and she's telling the queen, you know, hey, you, you back your soldiers up or, you know, I'll... I'll fry your egg chamber, hopefully with you in it. And then, so the queen just kind of, you know, does this like subtle look over and kind of does like a hiss. And the aliens back out of the doorways, giving her her path. But then she kind of notices there's an alien still, there's a xenom- single soldier xenomorph kind of trying to sneak up on her. So she realizes, okay, this ain't worth it. Just starts nuking, you know, just starts going to town on the place with grenades and flamethrower and the pulse rifle and just, you know, demolishing the egg chamber. And I loved the subtleties of that communication that's going between them without a word being said. I mean, that's that's some strong filmmaking. Um, And then, you know, get to the sound design in, in Aliens. I mean, you've got... Anytime that motion tracker is popping, that is an amazing sound to use to build tension. I mean, anytime, anytime they're using that, you know, you get that just that subtle ping, and then all of a sudden, when something more is happening, it gets more intense, and that even carries over into Alien Isolation, which is something that I think made Alien Isolation stand out. Is you know, when you get that motion tracker, you know the alien somewhere. But you don't want to have that motion tracker out all the time because it makes enough noise that it can draw the alien to you. So, I mean, that's the the sound design in both Alien and Aliens is is amazing. But I think the reason I give the edge in the sound design to Alien is kind of because if you didn't have the kind of primitives. Wow, primitive motion detector that they use in the first one while Dallas is going through the air vents, you don't have the more intense one in the second one. But that's that's all, I guess that's all kind of, you know, in my opinion, which is what this podcast is all about. It's just me stating my opinions and, you know, getting across how I feel about it. Um, so I guess, you know, like, you know, I could try to look at my notes and see what else I've got going here. But at the moment, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, I'm kind of out of my notes, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean I'm going to stop because I still got so much to say. I mean, I love the fact that they kind of, even though it's pretty predictable, 
you know, you still get the the turncoat feel in Aliens that you had in Alien with Ash, but in this time you get it from Burke. You know, the the realization that Burke sent sent the the message to go investigate this location on the planet, which then led to the aliens coming there. But like I said, there's there's kind of a core problem there because it just doesn't make sense to me that okay, you're gonna colonize this, try to colonize this planet, but you're not going to search every inch of this planet before you decide to colonize it. You're not going to at least do like a scan of the whole planet. Like, oh, there's this giant ship here. Maybe we should investigate that before we decide to colonize this planet. And it's obviously within, you know, fuel range of the, of the colony because in the extended edition, and this is one of the parts I didn't care for at them adding in, was you see Newt and her family in the, the the rover vehicle, and they're the ones that are out there to, you know, to to look at this ship. And of course, that leads to her father coming back to the the rover with the face hugger. And I think the reason I don't care for that part is I don't mind that you show, you know, the people finding. I just think it's too coincidental that it was. Uh, it was Newt's family that found the ship, that got out to the ship. And that, I think, kind of, you know, like, just too coincidental. I, they could have done without that. But th- this kind of leads me into wanting to talk about the the, the additions of, to Aliens. And there is a director's cut of Alien, which I think is actually le- less effective than the Aliens uh, special edition. Because I think at least Aliens, you know, you have the stuff that explains the stuff about Ripley's daughter. And I think that gives, I like that stuff because it gives a little more background to Ripley. And it gives a little more time to play with the idea of, okay, she's been gone for 57 years. What what would have changed in the world in that 57 years? And giving a grounded thing like a child that she was supposed to be home for her 11th birthday and now she's dead because she... You know, basically mistakes were made, as Burke says later on in the movie. But, you know, it's... And then, you know, you get... Like I said, the, the sequence of of Hudson explaining the... Comedically explaining all the weapons they've got. You know, the going everywhere to say, you know, they got knives and sharp sticks. I mean, it's... It's this great little moment that let Bill Paxton shine and once again kind of gave you a little bit of comedic effect. Um, and I just realized I got really off track because I was talking about Burke and his betrayal and how, you know, his his sending them out there, you know, kicked everything off. And it's, you know, then you get, so I guess I'll get back on topic by saying, because then it leads to, you know, the whole thing of, you know, there's the argument of, you know, what should they do now that Hicks is kind of in charge because Gorman is unconscious and most of the rest of the Marines are dead. You know, she says, you know, they she believes they should take off and just nuke the site from orbit because it's the only way to be safe. And, you know, you kind of start seeing the the signs of Burke's uh, two, you know, two-facedness. I think that's the proper terminology. If not, whatever. Um, in the fact that, you know, he's arguing to keep the, keep the creature alive, you know, oh, well, this, this could be worth millions to the, the bioweapons division. And what is, what does Hicks decide? He's, no, I, I say we take off and we nuke the site from orbit. Only way to be safe. Because even he realizes 
this should not be in the hands of anybody. That gets to Earth, even if it, you know, even if it got controlled, it's only going to be controlled for so long. I mean, you, the first time you disperse a xenomorph as a as a a weapon, I mean, you can't tell me you don't think that's going to backfire on them. Um, it, it would be out of control before they could do anything about it. But then you know you have the the thing the whole thing with you know him locking Ripley and Newt inside the medical bay, taking the gun and with the leaving the, the face huggers in there, which then leads to everybody turning on him. And then when the aliens finally start getting through and he does his whole runoff, you get the the great cowardly death, which I think is a a very good use. That's I mean it's a trope, but it's a it's a great it's a great moment for it. You know, he, he runs away from them and he thinks he's abandoned them to be in the safe place and turns around and there's an alien and goodbye Burke. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's God, you know, I, I really love both these movies. So it's really kind of a, a hard decision for me to choose one over the other. But I think, I think, you know, the more I think about it, the more it comes down to, I think I, my love of horror movies makes me really like, Alien over Aliens. Because I think from a production standpoint, it's a way better movie. From a rewatchability standpoint, Aliens goes all the way. Because like I said, I could turn on Aliens at any point in time and watch it. You, I could come in halfway through that movie and still enjoy every second of it. If I walk into Alien and it's like already past the chestburster scene, or like, well really if it's even past them being on LV-426... You know, I, I have to watch the movie from the beginning because I, I, I don't want to miss anything that happens in that movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, that this is this is my take on Alien and Aliens. I mean, I, I love I love both movies. I love the fact that, you know, the first one is, very, you know, you get the the more tension build. You get more of the you know, the, the struggle to survive in my eyes in the first one, because, you know, there are no weapons. I mean, they, they somewhat make flamethrowers, but even those are fairly, you know, fairly, you know, like pieced together. They're piecemealed. They're not necessarily actually flamethrowers. And, you know, and then you get to the second one and you have, you know, Marines, so you have a reason to have all these guns, but it, it also goes to build how badass the aliens are. I mean, no matter how many big guns you have, these aliens keep coming. And they always seem to find a way to get you, whether it's through a ceiling panel that they had no idea to look for, or a flooring panel, like, you know, a space between the floor and the 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 ceiling below that. I mean, it's they always find a way to get to them. It's just... It's it's kind of the Velociraptor uh, thing from Lord uh, from Lord of the Rings from Jurassic Park. You know they they'll test their you know test the cage to find that that spot, and once they have it, they're they're in, and there's nothing you can do about them. I mean they're gonna swarm you. But I see I am now gone about the length I want to go, so I am going to. Uh, end it here with the plans on at some point in time updating my setup so I can get my buddy Tony in here and we can have this as more of a uh, 
me defending alien, him defending defending aliens, and maybe you know, maybe we'll we'll come to a, maybe he can convince me that I'm wrong for thinking alien is better than aliens, and maybe I can convince him that alien is better than aliens. Who knows? Um, but that's you know, so I, I hope to get this done with him at some point in time because I feel it would be a much more fun conversation that way than just me rambling on in my ways. But with that, I am going to uh, just say a thank you to anybody listening, as well as I am once again going to thank Spider out at Five Star Tattoo. I'll probably do this on every episode for giving me a really cool cover artwork. Um, once again, he took my my simple idea and he ran with it and made it way better to me. Um, it really captured the humor and everything. And he, he also does amazing tattoos on my body. So I had no doubt that's why I talked to him about it. Um, then I'm also going to once again thank Michelle and Tony. Both of them have been really good supporters of me in doing this and helping me find my way. Tony helped me settle on the name, which at some point in time I'll probably do it. It'll probably be an abbreviated episode explaining why I, I use the I Stand Strong but um you know he he's really helped me kind of kind of you know get get this going in the works and it's you know it's both of them have been amazingly helpful to me amazingly supportive so they they deserve a big thanks and with that i'm just gonna say thanks for tuning in and i hope you come back for my next episode um i think i might get into another topic that's really really close to me and that's the feelings i have on the loss of the video store i haven't 100 percent nailed that down yet we'll see so i guess you'll find out on the next episode till then signing off have a good one okay this is me ducking back in real quick because i forgot a little thing on my outro so I just wanted to say, if you want to write into the podcast, you can reach me at standstrongcast at gmail.com. Feel free to message me with ideas for topics you'd like to hear me talk about, or I'd love to hear your opinions on what I have to talk about. So yeah, there you go. If you want to write in there, once again, it's standstrongcast, I stand, or no, it's just standstrongcast at gmail.com. And I hope to hear from you.